0: So in John 20, 35 or 30 and 31, it says, these, all the things that Jesus did, thanks Charles. All the things that Jesus did were not recorded, but he says, these things were written, right? So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and in believing you might have eternal life. That's, why we're walking through these signs, right? We're walking through these miracles that Jesus performed in hopes of either helping you find faith in Jesus or helping your faith grow. And so we've talked about water into wine. We've talked about the healing of the nobleman's son, the royal official's son. We've talked about the healing of the the 38-year lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And last week, Ryan talked about walking on water, right? You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at the miracles and go, that's the one I'd really like to do, right? Like, I'd like to walk on, on water. But tonight's my favorite. Tonight, we're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. I like food. I ran restaurants. And so I really dig the feeding of the 5,000. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to John chapter 6, we're going to jump in. The last time I preached, we had two points. I wrote three, I preached two. Tonight I've written four, so I'm going to make up for it. So we're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. This is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that's contained in all four Gospels. This is the only one. This was by far the most public of all of Jesus' miracles. This one was seen by most people's estimate. Anywhere between 15 and 20,000 people, right, were a participant... In this miracle at some level, this miracle right here changed the landscape of Jesus's ministry. More than any other, this is the one that changed the landscape. The most public miracle recorded in all the Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. And so the, the, the verses are found in John 6. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. We're going to read the first 15 verses just to tell the story so we can jump in says sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him and he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages, or 200 denarii, would not be enough bread for each one to have even a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. We know from the other gospels, they were in 50, groups of 50 and 100. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat, the men sat down. About 5,000 men. He took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered together them, and they filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Let's pray. God, I just want to pray right now that as we spend a few moments with your word, that you would simply just speak to us. I know that you use people. Uh, You've endowed us with gifts of your spirit to be used, and I pray that you'll use your servant, but I pray that you'll use him in a way that you can be heard. And so speak to us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. The feeding of the 5,000. So, we've been walking through this idea of what these miracles are. Again, they're signs, right? They're the idea that they point to something else. And this miracle really, to me, emphasizes that. And so I want to speak into that tonight and get through these points if we can. So I think, first of all, and again, if you're watching online, if you're here and you don't have your Bible, but you got your phone, or you got your phone, uh, or have access to a Bible app, you can get to the YouVersion app. You can simply go to more, find live events, click on Tomoka, and the notes will come up there for you in the, uh, in the app. All right. Miracle of inconvenience. I think this is first and foremost a miracle of inconvenience. And here's why. Let me read, let me read a text to you from Matthew 14. Okay. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 14 and verses 12 through 14. John's disciples came and took his body, the body of John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist had been critical of Herod because Herod was sleeping around with his brother's wife and eventually married his brother's wife. And then that wife's daughter danced before Herod. Apparently, she did a fantastic job to the point that Herod said, Wow, listen, you just need to ask me for whatever you want. Up to half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And her mother convinced her to ask for John the Baptist's head. So John's disciples came and took the body of John the Baptist and buried it. And listen to this. They went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Listen, I don't know about you. And this is the part that I had forgotten as I began to study this again. Jesus was grieving. He had lost one of his dearest friends. John the Baptist had been beheaded several days before Jesus ever knew. Because we find out that Jesus also had sent his disciples out two by two, right? The 12 out, and they had come back not only with the report of what they were doing, but they also came back with news that, hey, one of your best friends was beheaded by Herod. He went away privately on a boat. Why? Because he was grieving. He was human. He said, I don't know about you, but when I'm grieving, I like to be alone, Right? I'm not really interested in... Listen, when I'm grieving, I'm not really interested in your problems. Would you agree with that? I mean, part of the problem with grief is that people want to come into your life and they want to help. And what you end up doing in your moment of grief is trying to care for their grief, right? It can be exhausting. Which is why most people who are grieving want to be alone. Jesus was grieving. He had gone away privately. And guess who tracked him down? The crowds did here. They came with all of their needs and all of their wants and all of their issues. And all Jesus wanted was to be alone. And he wanted to grieve. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter or in Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. It says you can bring those verses are right there. Just bring them right up. I see it on the marker. I can see it right there. Verse 15. There you go. As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. He's grieving. These people chase him down. They bring their needs and wants to bear upon Jesus, and when it's time for them to go take care of themselves, right? Jesus says, no, we're going to take care of them. I think this is a miracle of inconvenience. I think it's a miracle of God dealing with inconvenience in a way that can teach us. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 9, 1 through 6 and 10 to 11, because this was going on too. When Jesus had called the 12 together, He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave their town. As a testimony against them. So they set out and they went from village to village. They preached the gospel and they healed people everywhere. Right? Now bring up the next two verses, 10 and 11. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then they took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethesda. Right? Bethesda, right? Or excuse me, let me try this again Bethsaida, right? So in the middle of his grief, he also has the 12 people coming back and they're in his quote unquote office reporting to him what had happened to them while they were gone. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's grieving from the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. He's being inundated with what his troops have experienced with the power that he gave them to drive out demons and heal the sick. He's tried to get away privately. And then the crowd of people with 5,000 men, right? And no matter what your mass skills are, you're going to find out there's 10, 15, 20,000 people there. They all come to Jesus. To me, this is a miracle of inconvenience. And here's what I know. Our needs, our needs never take a back seat to Jesus. Ever. I don't know about you, but I've sometimes thought my problems were too insignificant for Jesus to deal with. There's been times I've said to myself, I'm not going to pray about that because good Lord, look what's going on in the world. Or we say this kind of stuff. We start talking about our problems and then somebody, and then we say this as if we're reprimanding ourselves. I know, first world problems, right? Somebody's always got it worse. Well, listen, if you always use the mantra that somebody got it worse than you to keep yourselves from ever talking about your problems, you'll never tell anything about yourself because there's always somebody that's got it worse than you. You see, what I know about this miracle of inconvenience is, is that Jesus put the needs of these people that inconvenienced him above his own because he was grieving. He was heartbroken. He was exhausted. He just wanted to get away privately, it says, in a boat. And these people tracked him down. And they demanded that their needs be met. And what did Jesus do? He didn't treat them as an inconvenience. He made sure their needs didn't take a back seat. You need to know that that's the case with us. You need to know that's the case for you, that your needs are not unimportant to Jesus, that he's never going to have you take a back seat to his needs. Listen to these scriptures of Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus said this, come to me, all you who are weary and what burdened. burdened, he says, and I will what I will give you rest. Listen, your needs are not unimportant to Jesus doesn't matter what they are. And it doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter. I hate to tell you this, but we don't live in a third world country. So every problem we have is a first world problem. Can I get an amen? Right? That's not a reason not to share your burdens with Jesus. Right? How about this one in First Peter chapter 5, verse 7? Peter says this, Cast all your what? Anxiety or cares on him because why? He cares for you. Don't cast some. Don't just cast the ones that you think are important enough that that his time should be secured for you. You cast all of your cares on him because he does care for you. Your needs are never secondary to Jesus. And here's how that translates to us. Since we are the representative of Jesus on this earth, we need to learn how to deal with people even when we're being inconvenienced. Right? Right? The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. Well, guess what the body of Christ did when he was grieving, when he was hurting, when he was exhausted, when he was tired, when he was overwhelmed with the news of what his disciples experienced. And these thousands of people come chasing him down for one reason and one reason only: We're hungry, Jesus. We're hungry, Jesus. We need something to eat, Jesus. We're sick, Jesus. We need you to heal us, Jesus. In the middle of all of that, he went, you're more important than me. And guess what he says to us, church? As the body of Christ, we should say to those around us who would inconvenience us, you're more important than me. Listen to what Philippians says in verses chapter 2, 3, and 4. Paul says this, yes, and I ask you, that's Philippians 4. Can you find Philippians 2? David will have it. But in Philippians 2, Paul shares with us the mind of Christ and what that looks like on us, and he tells us that we should do nothing. He tells us we should do nothing out of selfish ambition, right? But in humility, listen to this, consider others, everybody say others, more important than ourselves, right? Consider others more important than ourselves. Listen, when you're inconvenienced by them, it's hard to consider them more important than you, right? Listen, I'm 57 years old. I'm old. And I'm tired. And I've raised five kids. And I've got a two-year-old just sleeping in my house. And guess what? He wakes up about every morning at 3 o'clock. And I can tell you, it's an inconvenience. Right? I just want to pretend I don't hear it. And his mother, God bless her, takes melatonin right so she's out right she's out and of course my 18 year old wouldn't get up for anything short of an earthquake or fire right and i'll be honest with you it is really hard and i love owen but it is hard to consider that two-year-old boy more important than me when it's an inconvenience You see, Christianity doesn't mean a thing, church, to other people around you if you only act when it's convenient. That's why this miracle to me is such a powerful miracle because in the inconvenience of Jesus' life, he put the needs of this group of people above himself. You want to know how to fix most of your problems? Start considering other people more important than yourself. The number one thing that every counselor should tell you about your problem, and listen, this isn't minimizing your problem because some of your problems can't be fixed this way. So let's be clear. But a large majority of our problems can be fixed by simply changing perspective. The minute we stop making this about us and start focusing on the needs of other people, guess what? It is amazing how many of your problems just sort of fall to the wayside. You want to know why? Because you just don't have, pro- you don't have time. You don't have time. But when the focus is right here and your inconvenience and your needs, man, it is hard to hear that two-year-old crying in his bedroom at 3 in the morning. Right? There's only so far I can turn the volume up before I wake up the whole house. Right? That's a reminder to us that this miracle of inconvenience wasn't just for those people. It was a way of reminding us. That's ministry church. Ministry is about doing it when it's inconvenient. Listen, ain't nobody dying on a cross because it was convenient on a Tuesday, right? And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow me. That's never convenient. Can I get an amen? Right? I think it was a miracle of inconvenience, right? I think it's also a miracle of the impossible. I think it's a miracle of the impossible. Let me read a couple passages. This story's found, I said, in all four gospels. Matthew 14 records this. He says, bring them here to me, he said, the the loaves and the fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and he took, listen to this, he took the five loaves and he took the two fish and he looked up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave those broken pieces to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. So they all ate. They were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up the full basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Here's how it's recorded in John. In John chapter 6, this is how it's recorded. Do you have that In starting at verse 11? John chapter 6, here's how he records it. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all, they had, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Listen, I don't know about you. Here was the question that I ask over and over again. Where did this miracle take place? Right? It's five loaves. It's two fish. And there are 12 apostles. They bring these loaves and fish to Jesus. And he breaks them. And he gives them to the disciples. And then the disciples distribute it to the people who are sitting in groups of 50 and 100. So here's my question. Where did the miracle take place? Did the disciples keep coming back to Jesus and he just kept breaking off pieces and giving it to them? Or did he break off one piece and give it to the disciples and they went around and just kept giving it out and the, they gave it away and then another piece happened in their hand and they gave it away and another piece happened and there happened. And did, where did the miracle take place? Here's what I know. It was impossible. Right? If you have five loaves and two fish, five plus two is seven. You don't even have enough to give one of each to the twelve disciples let alone feed 5,000 men and the women and children. This was a miracle of the impossible because I don't care how you figure it happened. It was impossible. Either these people came back to Jesus 400 times and he just kept doling out chunks of bread and fish or he gave them a chunk and every time they gave a chunk away, another chunk appeared in their hand or they brought a basket, which would explain the 12 baskets and he put the chunk in their basket and it just multiplied out it was a miracle of the impossible right i mean listen it don't make no sense this was an impossible thing that happened and here's what you and i need to remember nothing nothing everybody say nothing nothing is impossible with god right nothing here's what it says in luke 137 for nothing is impossible was God? Listen, I don't. I, I read the account. I listened to the account. Now I re-listened to the account, and I just can't figure out where the miracle happened. But all I know is that whatever happened was an impossibility. I mean, I spent ten years running restaurants, and I spent lots and lots of hours cooking, and I can just tell you, that's impossible. Went to Guatemala on my very first mission trip. I went there a couple of times before the actual trip. I went back to Guatemala on a, on a, on a mission trip. And if you've been to Guatemala, Guatemala you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, you know, when COVID is finally eradicated from our planet and borders are open and you can travel, man, I would encourage you to go to some place like Guatemala and Guatemala City and our ministry partners. And one of our ministry partners in Guatemala City is the City Dump. We have a church there, uh, outside of the dump that decided, and I told you this, I've told you this before, but inside the dump, there's a community of people that live, right? Uh, that's where they, that's where they made their home. And I use that term loosely, right? And they make their living by going into the dump after the trucks come and fleecing things from the trucks that they can sell, you know, um, for a bowl of rice or a bowl of beans. And that's what they do. They decorate their homes or shacks with some of the stuff they find and everything else they find that has no value. They just burn along the street. One of the things that the church did for that community was every Friday evening, they would go in and they would feed that community, um, rice and beans and they would back up a van and they would have cooked it and they would get there and then people would come and they would bring their cups or their bowls that they have found from the dump Many of them uncleaned and unwashed, right? And they would line up. And they would just be people, stacked upon people, lined up. And they would come through. And they would get a bowl of rice and beans. And they would get a piece of bread. And they would get something to drink. And basically the church would do that every Friday. And they would serve that food until it ran out. We had spent a long week in Guatemala City. We were exhausted physically. We were exhausted emotionally. Uh, it was more than the human brain could even process and the human heart could take in. As we're standing there, it's the last day of our trip. We're leaving the next morning. And we know, <laughs> we know at the end of this night, we're going to a Chinese restaurant in Guatemala City and we're going to feast like kings to end our trip. Meanwhile, we're at the back of this van serving rice and beans and bread to these people and the line just keeps growing and growing and growing and the food keeps dwindling and dwindling and dwindling and we look over and it's me and a couple of the guys that are on our trip and we're looking at the cows that are dipping it out and they're looking at us and they're just crying because they know there's no way there's ever going to be enough food to feed the rest of those people online and they're standing there with their filthy faces and their and their and their ragged clothes and their their guatemala guatemala city dump souvenirs and there's just no way that that bowl is going to last there's no way it's going to last and i remember there were four of us there we just grabbed hands and we just started praying for god to do the impossible and to multiply these rice that rice and those beans to feed that line and we just stood there and prayed and we prayed and we didn't open our eyes and we just prayed because none of us wanted to leave that night and see 20, 50, or 100 people walk away and not get anything to eat. And we were praying, and somebody came over and tapped us on the shoulder. And before we knew it, the line had run out. And the bowl didn't run dry. And we gave away what was left over to people in the community. Uh, and in and 30-some years of ministry, I've never, I've never been able to experience a moment like that. It was completely God doing the impossible. Listen, I don't know what you're facing today. And I don't know what seems... I don't know what seems impossible to you. But we have a God who does miracles of the impossible. He just does. Does he always do them? It's irrelevant to you. You just need to know that he can... And so we lead this passage in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And here's what he says to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. According to the power that's at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And amen. You've got to stop asking yourself, will he? And you just got to stop telling yourself he can. Stop worrying about the will he part. That's his job. You start focusing on the he can. He can do immeasurably more. Everybody say immeasurably immeasurably more than you ever ask or imagine. That's the kind of God that we serve. Amen, church? John says this in First John 4, 4. You dear children are from God and you've overcome them. He said, Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Listen, it's the world that wants you to believe that everything has limits. You serve a God of the impossible. This miracle It's a miracle of the impossible. And listen, stop setting deadlines for God to do the impossible. Sometimes it takes him a week, a month, a year, but he's still the God of the possible. You stop worrying about whether he will and start knowing that he does. Amen, church? Right. And he's also the God of the improbable. This is my favorite part. He's the God of the improbable. Listen to these verses. John 6, 8, and 9. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Listen, this is such a cool part of the story, right? This is a miracle of the improbable, right? First of all, in the Greek, the word for small boy, right, is sort of a double negative, meaning he's an extremely small boy. He's not just a boy. He's an extremely small boy. He's very, 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 very young, right? He's not a 10-year-old kid. This is a small boy. And check out what he has. He has five barley loaves, right? Listen, here's what I know about what I researched about barley. Here's what, here's, I'll just tell you what I found. It's an inferior bread. It's pliny. And some of the Jewish writers describe barley bread as food only fit for beast. And he says, he goes on to say that those who have lost their standards are the only people that barley bread was ever created for. Here's what you know about that boy who was really, really small. He was also really, really poor. He was really poor. And this boy shows up. Now listen. Some of this is conjecture, but just indulge me. Let's just say there were 15,000 people there. And some of the 15,000 people there were women. So women, think what this means. Okay, You're out. Jesus is cruising around. You're following him. He's doing his thing. You got your family there with you, and he's doing his thing. And all of a sudden, he disappears, and you hear he's on the other side of the lake. Ladies, And all of a sudden, you guys decide to pack up and hightail it across the lake so you could be where Jesus was at. Do you think, ladies, any of those women took any food with them for their family? Answer, of course they did. I think you'd have to be crazy to think that nobody in that crowd had food on them but one little poor boy. It's just that nobody else was willing to share because everybody else looked at the number and said, what's the point? If I give this up, I'm just going to lose mine. And one little boy came forward with his five loaves of barley bread, food fit for animals, and his two small fish. Most commentators will tell you they were probably sardines, which was a very common fish in the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And they were dried. So they could be carried with them. He had next to nothing. And he walked up. And he said, here, this is what I have. You see, it's a miracle of the improbable. If there was any more improbable person in the crowd than this very young boy with his five poor pieces of bread, right? It was like me growing up. I'd go to my friend's house and he'd have Wonder Bread in his house, right? Anybody remember Wonder Bread when it first came out? You know, meanwhile, we had some kind of, you know, black package that said, you know bread on it. Right. And then you'd go to, I'd go to my friend, Richie's house, Richie Pickens, and he'd have wonder bread on the fridge. I'm like, Oh my God, that's the best thing ever. Right. It's like, it just melted in your mouth. That's what bread was like. Right. My dad ate Roman meal bread. Right. Like they just went in the backyard and pounded it in the dirt and then formed it into bread. It was terrible. Right. I'm not sure there was a more improbable character in the story. Then this little boy with his five barley loaves and two dried sardines. And Jesus used him to perform this miracle. Man, I don't know about you, but that can preach, right? I mean, listen, I don't, don't, you know, Mickey prayed in here earlier before worship was over. And she prayed that, she prayed about a God who's in the business of the broken, right? he's in the business of healing and restoring he's in the business of the marginalized he's in the business of the improbable like i don't know who you think you are and i don't know what you think you've done and i don't know what you think that you can't bring to the table but i can tell you this the more improbable you are the better you are as a candidate for god to use you for a miracle listen i'm 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 so fortunate that I knew from an early age that what God wanted me to do. But I know there are so many of you that don't know what God wants you to do. And you've convinced yourself that there's nothing you can do. That is so not true. And I think, I honestly think the reason that Jesus used this boy who was poor and was tiny was to remind us that he is the God who does miraculous with things that aren't miraculous He does the improbable with people like that boy. And here's the cool thing about the story to me. We don't even know his name. We don't know his name. We're so high, you know, we're such a culture of just wanting to be liked and how many likes did I get on my post and how many of these and who looked at my pictures and who did this and who's in a heart and who gave a thumbs up and blah, blah, blah. We're all wanting to be affirmed in that. And this boy's name's not even known because it's irrelevant to Jesus. He can do miraculous through anybody. You don't have to be the lead pastor of Tomoka Christian Church for God to do the miraculous. You can be the most broken person in this space or the most broken person watching online and God can do the miraculous through the improbable. He just doesn't need that. Now, here's the other thing. I don't think that the disciples... We're not told in the text. I don't think the disciples went around the group of people and like a bunch of Gestapo said give me your food, give me your food, right? I don't think that happened. I think the boy volunteered his food. I think the boy, when asked, when they were asking the crowd, does anybody have any food? And you know, as well as I do, there were liars in that group. I think that little boy said, I do. Why? Because I think that little boy had a childlike faith. I want to share these verses with you from from the Gospels. Listen to Matthew 18, 1-5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked this question. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Listen, in our culture of popularity and stars, we've put people like Stephen Furtick and Joel Osteen, we've put them on such a high pedestal because they're rock stars. If you've learned anything from the Hillsong debacle in New York City and Carl Lentz, what you should know this is this, that those people are not the greatest people in the kingdom of heaven. Right? They're just people. And when we treat them like rock stars, they fall like rock stars. Just like the sign when you drive through the mountains of Tennessee says, watch for falling rocks. That should be posted at every megachurch. Watch for falling pastors. Right? Because they're not any different. They're not. He says, who's the kingdom of heaven? Who's greatest? What he says, he called a what? A little child. It's the same Greek word used for the little boy. He called the little child and he had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And listen to this. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. then in Luke, it says this in Luke chapter 18. People were bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. Their own baby dedication was going on. And the disciples saw this and they were mad. We got a service to run, Jesus. We don't have time to dedicate babies, right? Jesus called the children and said to him, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom. Listen to this. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, never going to enter it. Listen, we get so grown up. We get so grown up in our faith that we forget to be childlike in our faith. We're so cynical. And listen, I live in the world that you live in. And it's, it's, like, it's like Tom Cruise's line, right? In Jerry Maguire, right? You, we live in a cynical, cynical world. Man, listen, I want to implore you. Don't lose the childlike wonderment of your faith. Don't become so jaded by, the, by the, the evil and the brokenness in our world that you lose that childlike faith and humility that took the little boy in the midst of thousands of people when people were being asked by the disciples to gather this little boy with his five Poor barley loaves said here. Because his wonderment and amazement hadn't jaded him to the point that he quit believing. Listen, so many of you, so many of us, so many of you online, we've lost the wonderment. We've lost the pixie dust of our faith. We've stopped believing in the idea of something like that because we're grown up, right? And stories like fairy tales aren't real. Okay, so they aren't real. But you still don't have to lose the wonderment of your childlike faith because Jesus said they're the greatest. And he didn't just say they were greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He said you can't even enter it if you don't have it. Man, I want to encourage you not to lose your childlike faith and know that God, listen, God does miraculous with the impossible. And then I think the greatest truth of the whole thing is that it's a miracle of imposition. I think it's a miracle of imposition. I'm just going to read some text to you and then we're going to wrap it up. This is all post. This is all post miracle. But this is where Jesus goes. Once Jesus realized that or once the crowd realized that Jesus nor his disciples were there. So he feeds them. Right. And then they get to looking for Jesus. The next day, and he's nowhere around. Because they went to bed hung, or they went to bed full and they woke up what? You go to bed full and you wake up what? Hungry, man. They were hungry. So guess what they looked for? They didn't look for IHOP, right? They didn't look for McDonald's. They looked for McJesus, right? They were looking for him and they couldn't find him, right? They couldn't find him anywhere and says, Bring that one verse back up 23. It says this, the crowd realized that Jesus nor his disciples were there. What'd they do? They got into their boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. They got in their boats for the five, four mile journey across the lake because they were hungry. They found him on the other side of the lake and they asked him, teacher, right? What gives? Right? Or they went in with sort of a, what's up, Jesus? We didn't know you were here, right? I don't know which was, but they were, e- either way, it was a dead giveaway to what they were doing. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I'll tell He doesn't even respond to their question. I love Jesus. He's so obnoxious in a conversation at times, right? When did you get here, Jesus? Most people would have went, well, you know, about 6, 6, six, six 30, right? He just cruises on, right? I tell you the truth. You're looking for me Not because you saw a miraculous, what? A miraculous family-friendly reminder from Meg Hale. Thanks, Meg. Appreciate it, right? He says, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? This is this? He answered them, the work of God is this. Everybody read this, everybody online, everybody in here, read this with me. What's the work of God? To believe in the one he has sent. Listen, you want to know why this was a miracle of imposition? Because so many of us want Jesus, right? As I said before, the magic genie or the... Coke dispenser, the vending machine God. That's what we want. We want lottery Jesus, right? We want to take our chances and we want him to do for us what we want. Here's what Jesus said. The point of all of this is to believe not in a book. Listen, I love the Bible. It was my textbook for four years in college. And I love the Word of God. And I am so grateful that God has given it to us. But the Word of God is Jesus Christ, the person. Amen, church? Our belief has got to be in Him and not in a book. Because the book points to a person. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus then everything about him is an imposition to you. If you're at church and you're praying for your miracle because your bellies are hungry, or your body is aching, or your bank account is empty, and you simply want the miraculous, you're missing the point. The work of God is to believe in the one whom he sent, not the miraculous. So go on down to that last verse, David, down to chapter 6, verse 60. Listen to what happens. Because Jesus keeps giving the speech, man. He keeps giving the speech and it says on hearing it, listen to this, on hearing it, many of his followers said this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Because Jesus went on to tell them Listen, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in yourself. If your life, if my life doesn't become the source of your life, you got nothing. And here's what they said, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. Listen, there were thousands of people around there. And Jesus just jumps all over them for coming to look for more food. And they were grumbling and Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Nothing like having somebody read your mind, right? Does does this offend you? What if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? He said, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Right, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you. It's the same thing here, and the same thing online. There are some of you who still do not believe. Believe in what? Jesus, Jesus, the person, and what He did for you—that He lived and He died and He paid your debt and He was crucified and buried and rose on the third day. There's some of you that don't believe. Yes, you believe in the miracle worker, and you want the miracle, and you want your cancer removed, and you want that job, and you want that date, and you want that partner, and you want that that ministry, and you want that dream fulfilled. Yes, you believe in the power of that kind of Jesus, but you haven't believed in him. And there's a difference between those two. And he said this, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say this, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has Enabled him. Listen, salvation is always an act of God first. Can I get an amen? Listen, you got somebody who doesn't know Jesus, man, you better be praying because there ain't nobody going to come to Jesus unless God draws them in. You better be praying to God twice as much as you're talking to that sinner because if you aren't, you got the order wrong and they're never going to come to Jesus because of you, right? He says from this, listen to this, this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible, John 6, 6, 6 right? From this time, many of his disciples, they turned their back and they no longer followed him. Because you know what they said? We want the miracle, Jesus. We just don't want you. How many of us are that way? Because he asked the question in verse 67, and we'll end it with this. Jesus looked at the 12. Just just picture the moment. It's just been chaos and Thousands of people are there and they're grumbling and Jesus has hammered him, and he's preached to them and people are just turning and walking. And you know what they're saying? We're done with him. He's a, he's a phony, right? Just dismissing him and the crowds are marching off and he looks at the 12 as if nothing else in the world was going on around him. And he says, do you want to leave too? Do you? Right? And here's what they say. Simon Peter answered. Always good to answer for the group. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm not sure that there was a miracle that had a greater impact on the people that followed Jesus than this one. The most public miracle recorded in all four Gospels ended. Listen." Pastors are so stupid. We measure success of a, we We measure, uh, I can tell you, every pastor who holds a service goes, goes and looks at the attendance as soon as it's over. How many people came and how many people online? See how many people that we reached, right? Because that's what we're trained to do, right? Look at the numbers. The greatest public miracle of Jesus' life resulted in thousands of people walking away and never coming back. I can tell you that almost every pastor knows exactly how many people walk out of every service every weekend. They count them. Jesus watched thousands walk away. And he asked the 12 the same question I want to ask all of you. Do you want to leave too? My prayer through this series is that you will answer the way Peter answered. Where are we going to go? It's not the book. It's not the church. It's not the people. It's Jesus. Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe in you. So that's my prayer for you. So listen, we're going to close. I'm going to pray. If you want to make a decision tonight for Jesus, man, I want you to. I'm going to be down front. I'd love a chance to talk with you. We're also going to close the service tonight by watching two of our students get baptized so i'm going to ask you to stick around when i pray and we're going to we're going to turn it over to them so father today thank you thank you thank you for jesus listen i'm grateful for the book i'm grateful that all of these years the word of god has stood the test of time and stood the critics and somehow god you have allowed it to be around at this season of our lives but i pray that the book will never become a substitute for the person And so for everybody in this space that knows Jesus, I pray they'll grow in him. They'll work at that relationship. They'll talk with him, and they'll spend time with him, and they'll love him. And for anybody that's here online that doesn't know Jesus, our prayer is for your spirit to do the work of drawing that person to you. And so, Lord, we thank you for this night. In Jesus' name, amen.